Good to see you tonight. This morning we looked into God's Word together to see evangelism, do it prayerfully. And we looked together this morning to see uh, why we ought to pray for the non-Christians in our lives. And then tonight we're going to see God's Word's help in what we are to pray for a non-Christian. I hope you received a half sheet tonight. There are eight points on this sheet that we're going to quickly look at this evening that we might have an opportunity to understand eight ways the scriptures tell us we ought to pray for non-Christians. All of us have non-Christians in our lives, I'm sure, and that's a good thing because we are salt and light and we want to uh, tell them of the way of salvation and invite them into this wonderful Savior's work for them, even as he has worked for us to make us clean and pure and acceptable and justified in his sight. So the first way that the scriptures are going to teach us to pray for the non-Christian this evening is that God would convict them of sin. In the Gospel of John, if you'd go to chapter 16, John chapter 16, this is a time of Christ's uh, prayer before the cross. And in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, in verses 8 and 9, we see something very instructive. John 16 Verses 8 and 9, Jesus praying to his Father, and he, that is the Holy Spirit, and he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. So the first way you can pray for a non-Christian family member, friend, etc., is that God by his spirit, would convict them of their sin, that they have not as yet believed in Jesus, as well as the other sin they would have in their lives. Keep your place in John 16 and turn with me to 2 Corinthians 7. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10. A second way that is biblical to pray for the lost or the non-Christian, is that they will have from God a sorrow for sin that leads to repentance. A sorrow for sin that leads to repentance. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. God is saying in this verse that there is a sorrow from him for the unbeliever that will lead that believer to have a true sorrow for sin. And that sorrow for sin will lead that unbeliever to be placing his or her trust in Christ alone for salvation. So a great way for you to pray, for me to pray for a non-Christian that we care about, is that God will give them not a human sorrow, not a boy, I'm sorry I got caught doing this sorrow, but a genuine godly sorrow for their sin that would lead them to repentance, to changing their mind about what they previously thought about Jesus Christ so that they would trust him and only him to be their savior. By the way, this morning, if you were here, you were given a three by five card, a recipe card, that look like this, and I challenge you to write five names on that card of non-Christians that you would commit to praying for 
for 30 straight days. I hope some of you or all of you have brought those cards with you tonight because a little later in this service, we're going to break into groups of three, four, five, six people and to actually pray the things I'm teaching you for the five names on each of your cards. So just to give you a preview of what I intend to do this evening. Eight ways to pray for the non-Christian. Number one, for God to convict them of their sin. Number two, for God to give them his sorrow for sin, which leads them to repentance. Number three, going back to the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verses 8 and 10 this time, for God's conviction of Christ's righteousness. John 16, 8, to begin with, Jesus praying again to the Father, referring to the Holy Spirit with the personal pronoun he, and he when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Look down to verse 10. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer behold me. We want to pray for the non-Christian that God's Spirit will convict that person of sin. But also in this passage, we want to pray that the non-Christian will experience God's conviction of Christ's righteousness. You see, when a person is convinced that Jesus Christ's righteousness is perfect and their every attempt at self-righteousness is faulty, then they're nearer to trusting Christ as Savior. So we want to pray for non-Christians that we love and care about, that we spend time with, that God will convict them of Christ's righteousness, that they need it, that they can't earn it. That's a powerful way to pray for a non-Christian. We pray, number one, for God's conviction of sin. Number two, of God giving them a sorrow for their sin that would lead them to repentance. Number three, we pray that God's Holy Spirit would convict them of Christ's righteousness, which is totally superior and complete righteousness compared to any stab at self-righteousness they could ever make. Number four, we are to pray for God's conviction for them to know that they will experience damnation without Christ. Still in John 16, verse 8, going back again. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin, their own, righteousness, Jesus Christ, and judgment. Skip down to verse 11. Jesus explains the prayer for them to be convicted of God's judgment. Verse 11, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Here's what Jesus wants you to preach for a non-Christian acquaintance or family member, that God the Holy Spirit would convince that non-Christian that even as Satan stands condemned apart from God's will and program and worship, that they are condemned and destined for damnation except they repent and trust the Lord Jesus. His grace and His mercy. 
and his finished work on the cross is evidenced by his resurrection out of the tomb to be their only remedy for forgiveness and for heaven. And so we are called to pray for non-Christians. We're not called to talk about non-Christians. We're called to pray for non-Christians. We're called to pray that God by his spirit would convict them of their sin. No one will ever be saved if they don't have a rock-solid certainty that they're sinners. We need to pray that God the Holy Spirit will convict them of sin. Two, we need to pray that they will experience a true sorrow from God for their sin that they're facing up to, and that it would lead them to repentance. Number three, we need to ask God by his Holy Spirit to convict the non-Christian of righteousness, that theirs is like filthy rags to God, but Jesus Christ is pure righteousness, fulfilled righteousness, Fulfillment of God's law is Jesus Christ and that Christ's righteousness can be their righteousness imputed to their account if they'll trust him and only him, not themselves. We need to pray that God the Holy Spirit will bring conviction to the non-Christian that it won't be okay for them if they go on to their grave without Christ, that there is a hell. There is a hell to be avoided and a heaven to be gained. Pray for your non-Christian family and non-Christian friends to become convinced that except Jesus Christ and his grace and his cross and his blood interpose, the hymn writer said, or intercept them from where they would be going based on their own record that they would be damned on their own record, but they can be saved on Christ's record. What else do we pray for the non-Christian? We pray, we saw this in the morning message, that their spiritual mind and their spiritual eyes would be opened. A supernatural working of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians The church at Corinth was a mess. A man was sleeping with his stepmother. They were taking each other to court. They were drunk at the communion table. They were a messed up church at Corinth. And yet, God wrote to them two letters, two inspired letters, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. If you ever find yourself discouraged in serving the Lord, 2 Corinthians is one of the finest New Testament books for you to read. I read it often. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, we see the basis upon which we are called to pray for non-Christians that their minds and their eyes will be opened to Christ and to the gospel and to salvation. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God, that's a little g, God in my Bible, in whose case the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded 
the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now watch this. These people in Corinth, and I might add these people in Nassau, the non-Christians in New Providence, the new non-Christians in the Family Islands, the non-Christians of every nation of the globe, Satan, the God, little g, is blinded. The God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. We are working with, we are living with, we are transacting with people who seem to have their eyes open, but their spiritual eyes are veiled. They seem to be intellectual. They seem to be clever. They seem to be fully functioning mentally, but their minds are clouded and veiled by Satan with respect to Christ, with respect to the cross, with respect to the gospel, with respect to grace, with respect to salvation. And so we are called in love and humility, to regularly pray for these precious non-Christians with blind spiritual minds and eyes that the Spirit of God would open their eyes, open their minds, that they might see Christ and His cross work and trust Him for their salvation. What else are we to pray for the non-Christian? Still in 2 Corinthians, but this time chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting at verse 1. And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So it must be possible to receive the grace of God in vain. How do we not do that? For he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you, and on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The way it is possible for a non-Christian to somehow, in some manner, receive the grace of God in vain is for them to hear the gospel and go, yeah, 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 that's right, later. When I'm older, when I'm sick, when I'm desperate, when I'm dying, God says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you, and on the day of salvation, I helped you, but now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We are to pray that the people we love and that we know are non-Christians at this point this evening, that they will get a God-given sense of urgency to respond to Jesus as Savior. Number seven, we ought to pray for non-Christians to gain a thirst which only Jesus can quench. 
There was this woman who had seven husbands, and she was living with a man who wasn't her husband. Jesus met her at a well. She was at a well because she was thirsty. She had to go to the well to get good water. All the other women went to the well in the cool of the morning or the cool of the evening to draw their household's need of water. But because of her checkered past and the mocking and scorning of the other women, the gossips of the other town, that they saw her, she was socially ostracized, and she ostracized herself, and she came to this water well at high noon to draw her family's water. Jesus met her at her point of need, and Jesus didn't dance around the issue. He didn't avoid the issue. He wasn't indirect. He was right between the eyes with love and hope. And he said to her in John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, and Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Jesus, in love and power, heightened this downtrodden, embarrassed woman's thirst. Not just for the water in Jacob's well. She needed that. But Jesus heightened her thirst for living water, for him. The only one then and the only one now who can create in the one who believes in him a spring of living water such that we never have to thirst again. We ought to pray that non-Christians that we rub shoulders with would have a thirst that only Jesus Christ can quench. A thirst that only Jesus Christ can quench. The eighth thing I'd like to show us that we ought to pray for non-Christians is that we ought to pray that God would orchestrate the circumstances leading to their response to the gospel. God is, of course, sovereign. Colossians 4 By saying that God is sovereign, it is saying and acknowledging that he is the boss, the supreme controller of his universe. That he is at work when we sleep. He is at work when we are awake. He is at work when we make decisions. He is at work always. That human history is tending to what he says will be the culmination of human history. When we say that God is sovereign, we say that he is in control of all things, including the circumstances surrounding which the point in time when each of us transferred our trust to Christ alone for our salvation. If I open this up to testimonies, and some night I will, For you to say, how did God pull the strings on the circumstances of your life to bring you to a person who loved you enough, that told you the way of salvation, and then you were inclined in your heart to trust Jesus alone for salvation? Be fascinating stories.
But one of the ways that we are to pray for non-Christians is that God will orchestrate their circumstances that would lead up to their response to the gospel. Colossians 4, let's pick it up at verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying that at the same time for us as well, that God may open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been in prison. Verse 4, in order that I may make it clear in the way that I ought to speak. We ought to trust the Lord in prayer to make his sovereign being and work evident such that our circumstances as gospel witnesses are clearly made straight to share the gospel with people who are ready and the people we share the gospel with, that their circumstances are orchestrated by the same sovereign God, that they meet us, that they have time to talk to us, that their spiritual eyes are unblinded, that their spiritual minds are made clear so they can respond to the gospel. Every conversion is a miracle. It is a miracle. And so I want you to think about the five names that you wrote on that 3 by 5 card right now. One of my names is in Canada, but I'm going to pray for Keith every day for the next 30 days. Four of my names on my card live beside me or around me in High Vista, where I live in the parsonage. And I'm going to pray for 30 days with God's helping me to pray 30 straight days for these for people who are my neighbors. And I'm going to pray, and I'm asking you to pray for the five that God has laid on your heart who are non-Christians, for God to convict of sin, for God to give them a sorrow for sin that would lead to repentance, for God to convince them of Christ's righteousness, for God to convince them that they're damned except they run into Christ and trust Him. I'm going to pray that God in mercy and power would open their spiritual mind and eyes to the truth. I'm going to pray that God would give my five non-Christian persons a sense of urgency to respond, that they would not be able to say later to Christ anymore. I'm going to pray for my five that There would be a thirst created within them by God, which only Jesus can quench, and they would figure that out. And I'm going to pray that God would lead their circumstances so that they would be ready to hear the gospel from me. I'd be glad to be the one to tell them, or from someone else. And that they, by having their circumstances arranged, would be ready to trust Jesus for salvation. That's how we ought to pray for non-Christians. I trust that's how we're going to pray for non-Christians.